Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, 11 Tips for Implementing a Contractor Management System, sponsored by Browse. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I will moderate today's session. Thank you all for joining us. We'll start the presentation in a few minutes, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the Council or Magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Brett Armstrong, Vice President at Browse, and Dennis Robinson, Business Development Specialist at Browse. Brett has been with the company for more than 10 years and has experience managing teams that have supported the world's leading organizations during both implementation and ongoing management of supply chain qualification programs. Previously, he led the operation teams at Browse for more than, 10, for more than seven years. Dennis has also worked with Browse for more than 10 years. Before his current role, he managed the assessment specialist team responsible for the validation of all contractor documentation. Dennis's experience provides him with firsthand knowledge of the details and documentation organizations rely on to ensure they are working with safe and responsible contractors. Brett and Dennis, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, great. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate those introductions. Uh, I want to just take a minute to thank everyone for joining us today. When I look over the, the list of those that are in attendance, we've, we've got really a very unique group. We've got uh, attendees today from uh, all various industries, including uh, utilities, mining, manufacturing, and uh, many other uh, industries. We've also got a lot of representation, not only from uh, health and safety, but from other departments as well, including procurement, operations, and risk. And we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the significance of that as we get started. Uh, before we do, I wanted to take just a minute to create a baseline that we can all work from for today's uh, conversation. When you start to talk about compliance or qualification, those are very broad terms, and so I found that it's helpful if we kind of step back and just work from a common definition. Now, there are three terms that I'm going to be using interchangeably today, and for the purposes of our discussion, please understand that whether I'm talking about contractors, suppliers, or vendors, what we're really doing is talking about any third party who comes on site. Uh, those are the organizations that we are most often asked to uh, assist in the qualification process and that most organizations are interested in uh, when it comes to contractor pre-qualification. 
So with that, what is a supply chain qualification? I think we can step back and look at kind of a formal definition, and that would be uh, the screening of potential contractors, suppliers, or vendors on the basis of factors such as experience, financial uh, stability, managerial ability, reputation, and work history. Uh, and that information is, is looked at and evaluated for the purpose of developing a qualified list of bidders uh, who would be invited to, uh, to bid on future work. At Browse, we, we really kind of break the process down into two different steps. You've got the pre-qualification, and then you've got the ongoing qualification and management. And it's been our experience that those organizations that are most effective uh, in utilizing these types of programs are the ones who look at compliance over a period of time. Absolutely, we want to look at those up front when we're first uh, issuing work to a contractor, but we also want to make sure that we've got processes in place to manage compliance over time and to monitor uh, for any changes in uh, documentation, uh, such as data expirations or changes in uh, elements such as policies. Unfortunately, we've heard far too many uh, times uh, experiences that uh, client prospects have related to us where a contractor is pre-qualified up front, everything appears to be in good standing, they meet that organization's standards, the documents are filed away into a filing cabinet only to be reviewed a year later. Unfortunately, during these times, uh, it's very common for uh, contractors or third parties to cancel uh, insurance policies, for example, uh, in an effort to uh, reduce costs on their side. Unfortunately, it's during these times that if there is any type of accident uh, that the employing organization, typically that large enterprise organization who has hired them, that is going to be responsible uh, for any type of uh, penalties that might be involved uh, with those accidents uh, without having the appropriate insurances in place on the contractor side. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some strategies uh, that you can employ to help to mitigate that in the future as well. Now, why does supply chain qualification really matter? And as, as we think about this, it really goes back to the old adage that you can't manage what you can't measure. More importantly, you need to be able to clearly articulate exactly where your supply chain stands, specific to your qualification standards. Albert Einstein had a fantastic quote, and, and I love it. I'm, I'm just going to read this. He says, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And as organizations create these qualification programs, they need to think about what type of data they, they not only want to collect, but what they're going to need to be able to share with other departments. Again, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about stakeholders and those that we typically see involved in this type of process. One thing that, that we are finding is that modern qualification programs, they no longer involve just a single department. It touches many uh, or multiple facets of a business. And that's why today we, we see such great representation from all these other departments uh, here with us. Now there's three statistics up on the screen. When you talk about simplifying the data uh, to a point that, that you can really make informed uh, business decisions, I think it can be overwhelming when you start to look at individual safety stats for each and every contractor that you employ. <clears throat> One of the things that we've recently done is we partnered with uh, the National Safety Council to create a study that would evaluate how effective third-party organizations are in helping to improve safety uh, during the pre-qualification process. 
the three statistics that I have up there uh, come directly from that study. And what we found is that browse contractors going through the pre-qualification and ongoing management process, they outperform general industry by 34% as it relates to total recordable cases, 65% as it relates to lost workday rates, and 48% as it relates to days away restricted or transferred cases. Those metrics really give credence to the importance and the necessity of these types of programs. And that's true whether you are managing your program in-house or whether you're looking to work with a third party. And that's really what I hope that we can accomplish today is talking about ways that you can be more effective with your qualification program, whether you're just getting started, maybe you're a little further down the road, and it really doesn't matter whether or not you're, you're doing that in-house or, again, working with a third party. There's some general best practices and things that you should be thinking about. As we think about these, these statistics, you know, you, you can think about it. If you're not holding your supply chain accountable, you're really not encouraging them to perform at the very best. There's no way to recognize those who are at the top of their game. It would be like taking a team of highly trained professional athletes and you say, all right, guys, go out on the field and just have a good time. If there's not some measurement of how they're performing, it's really pointless to do that. Um, now that we have kind of a, a common understanding of what contractor qualification is and why pre-qualification is so important, I want to talk about some ways that you can jumpstart your program. And we're going to move into we're going to move into to the first slide that I think is really critical here, and that is be realistic. One of the most common questions that I get asked, whether I'm out at trade shows or meeting with client prospects, is what should I consider in terms of implementation and what staffing requirements do I need? Um, when, when you think about this, it's very easy to underestimate exactly how much time it's going to take to qualify an entire supply chain. It's one thing to think about qualifying a single contractor, but when you start to think about the broader population, it can be a little bit intimidating. And we've got a few statistics here, and I'm actually going to pull Dennis Robinson into the conversation. As Alan mentioned, for the better part of Dennis's career here at Browse, he was responsible for the teams that were collecting the documentation that contractors submitted and then they were scoring that information. So he's got a really good feel in terms of what is required to manage a qualification program. Dennis, do you want to just kind of walk us through some of these numbers and, and what you typically would see or that organizations should consider from a staffing perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that previous slideshow in the iceberg. Really, that's a great view into contractor qualification where it's not always what the what you're seeing, it's what you're not seeing. So it's important that you're not leaving a stone unturned and you're looking everywhere you can to ensure that you're working with safe, responsible contractors. So looking on the screen, this is essentially a breakdown of time that you can be expected on the administrative side of things uh, to use per contractor and what it's going to take uh, per year for you to do so. And, and Dennis, before you jump into that, I think it's important to remind everybody that for a general uh, full-time employee, you've only got about 2,000 hours during the course of the year that you can apply to uh, any given task uh, in this case contractor qualification. So what we're trying to illustrate here is really how many contractors a full-time employee could reasonably expect to manage, uh, assuming that they're doing deep due diligence into that process. Absolutely. Uh, so looking at this slide, 
uh, you should figure about a year, and this is per contractor, a year uh, or an hour per year explaining requirements, two hours per year answering questions specific to compliance, holding them accountable, one and a half, year, one and a half hours a year collecting documentation, one and a half hours a year entering data into a spreadsheet, uh, two hours validating that data, two hours monitoring that data for expiration, and then another two hours a year uh, coordinating with other departments um, that are unable to share the data with. Essentially what you're looking at is 12 hours per year spent per contractor. And as Brett mentioned, if you have an employee that's doing this exclusively, figuring about 2,000 work hours, they can manage roughly 173 contractors. Now that's not to mention as well that maybe you have an internal system. You might, you're going to have to spend time as, time as well on the internal system to ensure that things are working right and so on and so on. So uh, not only is there the administrative cost for you as an organization, but also whether that's an internal or external uh, program that you're running, there's a cost there as well. And Dennis, I, you know, as, as I first look at these numbers, I think it's really easy to say, hey, these, these are conservative numbers. But let's let's assume that somebody was able to get it down to say seven hours, which I think is highly aggressive. At that point, we're still only talking about a full-time employee being able to manage about 300 contractors. Based on some of the uh, the sizes of the organizations that I saw here, I would anticipate there may be you know hundreds if not uh, thousands of contractors as, as we commonly see. And so again, I think it's really important to uh, take that in consideration, uh, exactly what resources would be required to be effective. Absolutely, and, and you need to expect the unexpected. As Brett mentioned, uh, maybe you can bring that, uh, that, that time expense down, but you also have to consider the fact that if you're dealing with higher risk contractors, there's gonna be more of a data collection therefore more administrative burden on your organization as well. All right, great, Dennis. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about stakeholders. We, we mentioned this early on uh, just with uh, those that are in attendance. Uh, we've, we've seen a big change here in the last uh, 13 years that I've been with Browse. Historically, when Browse came in to meet with an organization, we were typically talking to one department, and that was either safety or procurement. Uh, today, as you see on the slide here, you could have any number of departments involved in this process, all with a different or varying interest in the qualification program uh, based on their own roles and responsibilities. And we really encourage organizations as they look to implement this type of program, again, whether you're managing in-house or with the third party, that you involve the stakeholders that are listed here to make sure that you're collecting information that is relevant to the entire organization. Dennis, do you want to kind of walk us through uh, what you're seeing in terms of uh, departments that are becoming involved and what their uh, various interests are? Absolutely. I, I think here it's worth mentioning, you know, Brett, you'd said earlier about you can't manage what you can't measure. Well, also, you can't communicate what you don't communicate. And so um, while we have various stakeholders, if there's no communication, the left hand's not going to know what the right hand's doing and so on. So kind of going through this, uh, procurement, uh, they're going to be interested in simplified sourcing, accessing information quickly, maintaining consistent data across divisions, regions, geographies, and then ensuring business continuity as well as financial stability. Uh, safety, they're going to be interested in both leading and lagging indicators, historical safety stats, employee level training, monitoring violations, uh, citations, and so on. Now operations, they're going to want real-time access, single source of data, consistent SOPs, and then data entry verification. 
And then lastly, are going to be the executives, and they're going to be really concerned about the brand equity. So maybe the safety side goes great, the procurement financial side goes great, but there might be something else that happens, and that's going more on the corporate social responsibility, anti-corruption, legal compliance, and so on, where everything, like we mentioned the iceberg earlier, you might be only looking at that 10%, and there's that other 90% that you need to focus on. So it's important that every stakeholder gets what they need in terms of a program, but also that that communication is being done in a way that everyone knows what's going on and what's being expected of those contractors and what's being submitted and validated as well. I, I think that's one of the challenges that we still see today with many organizations uh, where perhaps they're, they do have a program like this in place, uh, but the information is being filed away into a filing cabinet or even stored on uh, an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, it really becomes difficult you know, especially for uh, national or global industries to disseminate this information if it's tucked away uh, in, in a program that doesn't give access to each of these other departments. So definitely something to be considering as well as, as you think about uh, moving forward. One of the things that I think is often overlooked is creating that culture of accountability within your organization both with the uh, contractors as well as internally. What are the expectations of the members of your team in supporting the contractors and in uh, expecting the best from them? Stephen Covey has, has a quote where he says, thinking win-win isn't about being nice, nor is it a quick fix. It's a character-based code for human interaction and collaboration. What I really like about that is it really reinforces what we try to drive uh, in working with our clients, and that's making sure that the contractors and the clients together realize that this is a partnership. Uh, there's a great need for the enterprise organization employing the third party to collect this information to ensure that they're making uh, smart business decisions and taking uh, the best business risks. On the contractor side, it's important for them to understand that this is going to help their business, not only from a standpoint of elevating uh, their performance and safety over time, but in helping to secure that relationship. One, one item that I would just remind everybody who's on the call, your contractors are going to talk to one another. So please be consistent in administering that program. As soon as you give a pass to one contractor, that's going to make its way all the way through the uh, supply chain. People are going to know that you can get around the system unless you're consistent in your approach of applying those standards and communicating that out. Um, the other thing to think about is how are you going to reward those contractors? Again, the contractors that are really going to appreciate this are the ones that are playing by the rules today, those that meet your expectations. What they appreciate is the fact that they've got a level playing field. They know that they're making the appropriate investments. They're not cutting corners. Those are the contractors you want to work with. Develop a program in order to uh, recognize them, to provide incentive for them to continue to do the great things that you already appreciate. And the easiest way to do that is to continue to award them work um, or, or make, make it publicly known uh, what a great job that they are doing. When contractors see that you appreciate and recognize their efforts, they're going to go above and beyond. We don't want this to be uh, simply a punitive program, but instead something that provides incentive uh, to these organizations to continue to raise the bar. 
Let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, some of the most common standards, things that you should be considering if you're not already in creating your uh, qualification program. I'm going to start at the lower left-hand corner here, and the very first thing that we start to consider is insurance. Now this is uh, where most uh, organizations will begin the process. It quickly expands to include uh, legal uh, things uh, you may have specific agreements in place, contracts, terms and conditions that need to be signed, uh, and that can be collected and housed within your uh, qualification program. Uh, the other would be business continuity, making sure that processes are in place uh, so that your organization is not impacted if there is a change in the contractor's uh, business status or in the way that they operate. Health and safety. We're going to talk more about this in a moment. Uh, not just looking at lagging indicators, but what are you doing from a leading perspective to make sure that you're on top of trends early on and can address items that, uh, that may pop up over time. Uh, quality systems is another that uh, we continue to see being pulled into the qualification process. Financial stability, and this is really critical. Dennis has a great story that he'll share uh, here in, in just a little bit. Really talks about the importance of making sure that the third parties that you hire are financially sound, that you don't have to worry about uh, them becoming insolvent uh, you know, over a period of months as you work with them. Diversity, uh, for any of the utilities that are on here or publicly traded companies, you may have uh, diversity requirements. Do you have a, a mechanism in place to ensure that the third parties you hire, that they are supporting those uh, diversity requirements of your organization? And then at the top of the pyramid, this is uh, something that we are starting to see become more relevant in today's programs, an area where, unfortunately, I would say the U.S. and uh, North America in general is lagging behind much of Europe and the U.K., and that's around corporate social responsibility and sustainability, making sure that you're acting as a good corporate citizen, uh, looking out for the best interests and, and the welfare of, of the workforce. Uh, so again, definitely something that I would recommend everybody consider as you start to develop those requirements. I'm going to transition a little bit from maybe this high overview of, of what to consider into more of the details. Uh, we're going to pull Dennis in with uh, his expertise in having processed so many of these documents. And Dennis, can you talk just a little bit about insurance requirements? Uh, I realize every organization is a little bit different, but what are some of the general trends, things that you're seeing that organizations should consider in managing insurance as part of their requirement. Thanks, Brett. Um, really quickly, just to reiterate, as we go through this, this isn't to say that uh, a third party is right for you or that you're doing something wrong in-house. Um, this is really just to walk through some of these different requirements and items. And really, as we talk to different organizations, we hear the comment of, look, we've worked with this company for 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, we know they're good. There's never been an issue. Uh, but really what this comes down to is protecting your employees, protecting your brand, and really ensuring that your contractors are being held accountable. So as we go through this, these are just some ideas. Um, happy to answer questions at the end as well. Uh, so specific to insurance, there really is not a single recommendation. Uh, this needs to be determined working with your risk, legal team, uh, and also looking at what the uh, specific job is that the contractor is doing for you. Um, the higher the risk, most likely the higher insurance requirements you're going to have. So as I look at those, um, a few different items you want, might want to look at would be, let's say, a general liability policy. You want to ensure that uh, that's an active policy. It's not expired. 
you might have a limit requirement for that. Maybe it's a million dollars, maybe it's five million dollars. Then you might, might also want to be added as an additional insured onto that policy. Uh, automobile liability policy, if they're driving a vehicle or bringing a vehicle on site, you want to ensure that that's an active policy. Uh, you want to ensure maybe a limit level as well on that. And then uh, another one would be workers' compensation policy, ensuring that's effective and ensuring that their employees are in fact insured. Now one other very important item uh, that really doesn't cost uh, you anything is being added as a certificate holder on that policy. I mentioned before holding that contractor accountable. Well, as we mentioned previously, if you are putting things in a filing cabinet, that insurance document is not going to jump out and let you know that it's expired. So it's important that you have a mechanism in, mechanism in place that allows you to be made aware of something as it happens. So being added as a certificate holder, what that does is that will let you know of any changes made on a policy, good or bad. Maybe a policy limit's raised, maybe a limit's lowered. Um, maybe an additional insured is removed, maybe it's added, whatever that might be, anything that's added or changed on that policy, you're going to be made aware of as an organization of that change and uh, you can update your records accordingly. Yeah, I, think, I think that's really a critical recommendation, Dennis. Uh, that's something that we obviously do on behalf of our clients uh, in order to monitor the insurance. If you're managing this program in-house, please consider that. Uh, there's nothing worse than being uh, caught by surprise. Uh, if there is a change to an insurance policy. Let's, let's move on and talk a little bit about safety statistics. And uh, Dennis, I know you're going to cover the whole gamut. One of the things that we get asked a lot is, you know, what can I do to move uh, strictly from looking at lagging indicators to uh, moving towards leading indicators? Absolutely. Um, so most organizations, uh, they're at least requesting annual safety stats. We get the question as far as, so, well, how actively um, should we be looking at this? How often should we be verifying that? I, um, I recently attended a conference when a safety professional commented that we're always an afterthought. Why couldn't we be more involved earlier on in the hiring process? Why wait until after a bid is awarded? Um, so at minimum, here's some of those items to maybe uh, assist with that. Um, so you probably want to collect a minimum three to five years of safety historical data um, when available from the contractor. That will allow you to look at things like lost workday cases, total recordable cases, total restricted cases, and so on. Now, when we talk about multiple years, the reason that's important is you might have a great contractor that just had a bad year. For whatever reason, maybe they're a really small contractor that had one accident that raised their rates. Uh, it, this gives you a view into what, those, what the multiple years look like, and you can see if maybe that one bad year was an anomaly, or adversely, maybe that one good year was an anomaly. Another item that you might want to look at would be an EMR, which is an experience modification rate. This gives you a view into uh, their workers' compensation claims. And if those claims are a higher dollar value, you're going to be made aware of that. And it's just another metric that you can utilize to look at um, that contractor safety. And that's based off of a, a three-year average as well. So um, gives you a good span uh, in that regard into uh, items to look at. Now, moving away from some of those lagging indicators, uh, many organizations are looking for monthly reporting. Um, obviously, as we talked before, this might add some administrative uh, burden on your organization, but it would allow you to take those safety stats that are traditionally a lagging indicator and be more of a leading indicator where instead of collecting those OSHA logs, let's say every March, you're collecting a monthly log and you can see that, hey, last month this accident occurred 
and then from there you kind of make a determination if that's something that could be put your organization at risk. A couple other items that you could look at in terms of those uh, leading indicators, safety program audits, uh, management systems, and then training programs, really digging those apart and figuring out if maybe there's a hole or some area where uh, risk could be created due to non-training or non-performance. Great, Dennis. And, and you actually addressed one of the questions that uh, came up from somebody on the call who is a contractor. You know, in that situation where because they're a small organization, one event can skew those numbers. So looking at the trends, like you said, is a great way for clients to approach that. Uh, when we talk about configurability, we also provide our clients with an opportunity. If there is a particular event that they're aware of, we brought that issue to their awareness. They do have the ability in uh, instances where they feel appropriate to recognize the risk, but to uh, be able to grant an override in those cases as well. Absolutely, and, and you can even do an action plan. Let's say that, like I'd spoken before about, a, you've got a contractor that maybe it's something that uh, there just needs to be a retraining. You can create an action plan for those individuals to say, hey, what's being done here? Let's retrain, let's fix the problem and move forward. Great. Let's, let's talk a little bit about risk. Um, and, and what I'm talking about here isn't just recognizing that there is risk in your supply chain, but making sure that you stratify it in such a way that you're able to account for the high, medium, and low-risk contractors that you work with. As you can imagine, a copy repairman, maybe janitorial, they're going to present a different level of risk than a contractor who's working at heights or in confined spaces. One of the things that becomes very frustrating for contractors who have been asked to participate in these programs becomes frustrating when they're asked to provide documentation that just isn't applicable to them. And so by identifying and stratifying the various risk levels within your supply chain, you can make sure that you're asking or providing assessment questions that are specific to those risk types. Uh, by doing that, you're going to have better participation from your supply chain. Uh, there's going to be less frustration trying to become compliant to those standards. And so we really recommend that you do that. Um, when, once you have an understanding of what that risk looks like, the other thing that, that we would recommend is don't make assumptions about how your contractors will go about their work. Be deliberate in your understanding. Ask questions that help you understand the way they will approach their work so that those assessments can be appropriately um, segmented for, for their business type. And that's something that Browse can help you do up front in the uh, qualification process. Ask questions like, do the services you provide require the use of a boom crane, a cherry picker, mobile equipment, ladders, or scaffolds? Or do services you provide require the issuance of a high hazard permit, uh, such as hot work, confined space, or other hazardous activities? Do the services you provide require a permit or written job safety analysis or job hazard analysis? Asking those questions will give you a better sense of the type of work that is to be performed, and you can make sure that your assessments uh, fit those organizations and that they're applicable. Again, nothing worse than asking for something that just is not a fit for that uh, particular contractor. And that's why we talked about the importance of configurability in, in your um, qualification program, not only at the contractor level and the, the risk assessment, but also in your own requirements, making sure that you're not purchasing a solution that's a one-size-fits-all approach where everybody has to uh, check the same boxes. Uh, definitely something for consideration. You know, Brett, and I would maybe add to that a little bit, um, just to add some color, you're never going to rank a golfer 
on their ability to golf based off their bowling score. Uh, okay. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, you want to look at the right data for the right contractor. Very important. That's a great point, Dennis. And that, that kind of moves us into uh, licensing. I love this slide. Uh, you know, I think uh, if, if a picture tells a thousand words, it, it definitely is the case here. Imagine bringing somebody on site to perform some type of job function only to find that they're just not qualified, they're not the right person. Make sure that as you're qualifying your supply chain, you're not just looking at the licenses and the certifications of the contractor organization, but what are you doing to ensure that the employees that are hired by those contractors are also appropriately trained? Uh, that's definitely a part of the uh, qualification program that many organizations overlook. Again, when work is being awarded, the bids come in, the contractor organization gets pre-qualified, but over time those employees are going to change out. Make sure that you've got a way to manage that data for those uh, individual uh, employees. Again, making sure you've got the right software solution to support this is key. Uh, the filing cabinets, the spreadsheets just aren't going to cut it here. All right, let's move on and uh, talk a little bit about uh, financial stability. Again, I realize that this is a uh, safety presentation, but with uh, procurements in attendance and even just recognizing the other stakeholders at the table, I think it's important to talk about this, this piece. Dennis, we touch on that? Absolutely. Um, so really when it comes to financial stability, if you're awarding work, uh, you better know that uh, that contractor is going to be around tomorrow. Obviously, you're awarding work for a reason. You're you're expecting that whatever job it is is going to be done. But even more so, and Brett mentioned I have a little bit of a story I like to share, uh, we were working with a potential client, uh, speaking with them, and as we brought up financial stability, they kind of looked at us and said, man, this would have been great to uh, something we should have done years ago. And we said, well, well why, why specifically would you say that? And they told us a story about getting an HVAC unit installed on their roof. It installed perfectly, worked fantastically. They paid for the job for the contractor. Well, three months later or so, they got notice of a lien on their property for that HVAC unit they'd already paid for. Come to find out that the contractor they'd paid to install that unit went belly up. So now they, know they had to pay for it twice because that contractor had gone away. Now, if they had uh, used something like Experian or uh, looked at the financial stability, pretty good chance they could have caught that up front and not had to have had that issue uh, as they did. Now, one thing that's nice, um, you know, we work with Experian. We've integrated with them um, with, their, with their indicator, and it provides really a view into a company's overall financial health. But really the great part is, is they work heavily with a lot of the smaller contractors, as we work with uh, different organizations, they mentioned, look, we work with small contractors, large contractors, and so on. Well, make sure that as you are collecting financial information that you are uh, working with an organization that does work with those smaller uh, contractors as well. That's a, that's a great point, Dennis. We, we selected Experian for a reason, and again, we really felt like they were able to provide that level of service uh, to not only look at the large organizations, but those small, even ma and pa contractors that we know so many of our clients are working with. Uh, we're going to move to the top of the pyramid now and, and talk about corporate social responsibility and uh, the impact on business. As I mentioned earlier, this is uh, at the top of the list for many executives. Uh, again, I think we lag behind uh, Europe oftentimes when we look at this type of data. And so the question we get first and foremost is what types of things should we be looking at? And possible assessments that we currently support today or that are frequently asked for 
include uh, assessments around voluntary employment, child labor, freedom of association, environment and conditions, and anti-corruption. Uh, those elements that, that again, at maybe at face value, it, it's easy to dismiss and say, hey, these don't really affect me. But again, in part of being a good global corporate citizen, we need to make sure that we're looking out uh, for the workforce, uh, not just those that, that we employ, but anyone in the world, because there are so many people out there that do get taken advantage of. And it's absolutely critical that we're looking out for them, but also looking out for stakeholder value. When you think about brand equity, unfortunately, whether we're talking about uh, an on-site accident, a fatality, or something uh, that would impact corporate social responsibility, it's not typically the third party that you've hired that's going to make the news. It's going to be that larger brand name, that the large enterprise organization that has hired them. And so it's really critical. Do the right thing and protect your business at the same time. Technology. We, we've touched on this just a little bit already. Uh, we've talked about, you know, gone are the days where we can rely on uh, filing cabinets and, and spreadsheets. Um, hopefully, if you're looking at putting this type of program in place, you've got some tool to help communicate this out to the broader base of stakeholders that you work with in your organization. I'm going to touch for just a minute on the Browse technology. Again, we hope that this webinar today has brought value to you, whether you're looking to do this internally. Uh, we certainly don't ever want it to come across as a, a browsed infomercial, uh, but I am going to touch on the technology here because I think there's some significant developments that have really changed the way that our clients are interacting with their supply chain. Uh, at Browse, we use Browse OneView. It's our, uh, our core software platform. Uh, that sits on top of a patented rules engine that allows us to apply multiple rules to a, a data set, uh, ultimately to provide assurance you're working with the safest members of your supply chain. Here recently, uh, I'll, I'll say over the course of the last three years, we started to develop a number of mobile apps that really are providing a lot of flexibility to organizations as they're away from their desktop uh, where they don't have that computer in front of them. So we've got an application for the clients that are looking to monitor the compliance of their entire supply chain. There's an application for the suppliers and contractors who are being asked to provide the data. And then we've got Sure Workforce. And Sure Workforce really helps us move into employee level management. That component that we talked about where you're able to uh, manage the compliance of those that are hired, the individual employees that are hired by the contractor. So this can be integrated with badging systems as they come on site, snap a, a picture of their badge, it brings up the employee and the contractor data and tells you immediately whether or not they meet your standards. So again, regardless of, of how you look to administer this, please make sure you've got the appropriate technology. I will give a little bit of a teaser here. Be looking for an announcement in the next 90 days. Uh, we're going to be releasing another uh, mobile app. And this is a game changer in terms of how you audit the contractors that are on site. And Brad, if I can just add, uh, really the important part with this technology piece is that whatever you put in place, it's proactive instead of reactive. Gone are the days of the filing cabinet. I like to compare, compare a filing cabinet to a hole in the ground where items aren't just going to shoot out and let you know that they've expired. You've got to have something in place that's proactive that's going to make you aware of expirations, changing events, whatever that might be. Very important, and as Brett mentioned, 
not to say that what we do is right for you, but it's vastly important that whatever you're doing, it's going to allow you to be proactive uh, to potential issues with contractors. Thanks, Dennis. As we start to uh, wrap up the uh, presentation today, we'd encourage you to continue to be forward-thinking, uh, regardless of where you're at in this stage of implementation. Uh, look for new trends and technology, items such as the employee level management that we've touched on, integrated time and attendance tracking, and audit capabilities are all really critical. So to maybe go through and uh, talk through again, just in the review of the items that we've talked about, number one, be realistic. You don't want to be asking a contractor, maybe it's a small contractor for items uh, that just are not realistic to them. Be realistic with what you're asking of those contractors. Second, know your stakeholders. Uh, what is it exactly that they need that they want to see? And obviously ensuring that the communication between those various groups is efficient and effective for your organization. Define your contractor accountability. Um, again, you can't hold these contractors accountable for something that you don't ask them for. And at that same time, you've got to make sure that you're making an equal playing field for everybody. So uh, you definitely want to make sure that you define that contractor accountability. Uh, we talked about insurance requirements. Uh, very important that uh, you have those, those requirements stated and that you're following those accordingly. We mentioned the certificate holder. Uh, very important aspect of it to verify that any changes that are made, you're made aware of. Safety stats, we mentioned those. Lots of different ways to look at those to ensure that you're working with safe contractors. And we talked about trending data, making sure that uh, if there was accidents, what's happened after the fact or what happened before and so on. Risk, talked a bit about risk, um, ensuring that <clears throat> contractors you're working with aren't going to be risk and that you're risk rating them. Uh, if they're low risk, you're looking at them as a low-risk contractor and high-risk accordingly. Licenses, you know, we had the Santa laying on the couch. Uh, you want to make sure that those that are coming on site, they are who they say they are, and they've been trained uh, accordingly as well. Uh, financial stability, I mentioned the story about uh, the HVAC unit. Um, there's obviously other ways, too, where uh, you could have contractors coming on site and them not being financially stable could cause problems, so very important there as well. CSR in your business, we touched earlier on the executive side of things, that corporate social responsibility and ensuring that uh, you're working with a partner that's not going to uh, maybe give your, your company a black eye. Technology, obviously important. I mentioned the uh, proactive rather than reactive. You want technology in place that's going to support you, communicate to your organization, and really give you a tool that's as effective as possible for you. And then lastly, be forward-thinking don't look in reverse, look forward, make sure that you're looking at things the way that you need to and is best for your organization and for your, uh, your workforce as well. All right, great. Thanks for the recap, Dennis. Alan, I think that brings us to our uh, question and answer portion of the uh, presentation. I've seen a lot of great questions coming in. Yes, uh, great job, Brett and Dennis. Thank you for your excellent insights and expertise. Uh, just a reminder, to ask a question, Type it in the uh, text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Before we start the q and I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen. Your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. Okay, now let's get 
get to some questions. Great. And Alan, as we wait for a few of those to come in, uh, I'm, I'm going to start with one question that I know we get asked time and time again. And Dennis, that is, how can I justify the return on my investment? I know that uh, there's some tools that uh, have been developed internally, something that uh, we can share with those that are in attendance. Absolutely. You'll see on your screen, uh, there's actually a web link for this, uh, www.browse.com forward slash ROI. Uh, we created this tool for, for you all to be able to maybe look and see what sort of a cost you can expect with a system, um, whether that's internal or external, um, and, and maybe even a cost savings. Um, again, we're not saying that what Browse does is exactly what you need. It goes back to that risk rating of your organization, just like we've talked about with your contractors. Um, but this is a great tool to kind of maybe walk you through what you can expect on that ROI side of things and, and uh, maybe give you a better view into exactly what your organization should do and what's right for you as well. And uh, definitely welcome, uh, welcome using that tool. Uh, that's what it's there for. All right. Great. Dennis, let's, uh, let's start with the first questions that have, uh, have come in. Uh, we've got the first question, which is, how is this tailored to different levels of contractors? That is, a mechanical contractor doing work on site versus someone like a consultant who doesn't actually work on site. You want to take that one? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit on the risk rating portion of things, and I mentioned uh, ranking a golfer based on his bowling score and then reading, putting that back on his, uh, his golfing ability. Um, we want to make sure that you as a contractor, you as a company, are holding those contractors accountable to what it is that they do. Um, again, it's looking at the low risk. It's looking at the high risk contractors. You don't want to be gauging a high-risk contractor off of low-risk requirements in the same way that you don't want to be looking at as a mechanical contractor the same way that you're going to look at a consultant. So it's important that you baseline what it is that you want from each of those various companies and organizations, and then you request those items from them accordingly, like we talked about with insurance, licenses, and some of those other items as well. And, and Dennis, maybe I'll, I'll take a little more uh, – oh, I'll, I'll – I'll take kind of the practical approach as Browse works with an organization and they try to address this. Uh, if you are looking to have Browse manage your qualification program, uh, we, can, we can go through the stratification of risk in a couple different ways. Uh, one, we could sit down with you, our team partnering with you to go through and identify based on uh, your supply chain what levels of risk we see exist. Uh, that's based both on our experience as well as your knowledge of the contractor's business. Another way, and this is uh, maybe the more common way, as part of the registration process, uh, we can build that into the assessment and the registration to actually ask them about the specific types of work that they perform. And then based on those responses and uh, even the validation of, of your team, then direct them to the client's set of questions or the assessments that have been developed most specific to that work type. I hope that answers the question. Uh, the next question, when is it appropriate to make a contractor sign a non-disclosure agreement about anything they might see when on site? And I'll, I'll, I'll preface this first by saying, I don't think there is any single one right answer. I think the important thing here is making sure that within your system, you've got a methodology in place to track that. So we work with organizations all around the world. Uh, their legal teams are going to have varying levels um, of risk and, and, and varying uh, opinions about when it's most appropriate to bring that into play. But the important thing is once you've 
determine that with your legal team, making sure that the program itself, the software that you use, uh, can track that and flag it so that if somebody were to come on site, they know that there is a missing uh, agreement that, that should be there. All right, Dennis, our next question. What are the two to three most important items you would recommend we track on contractors? You know, I'll kind of uh, answer this in reverse. As we, as we talked about previously, it goes back to that risk rating where, you know, we mentioned licenses, we mentioned insurance, uh, we mentioned financial stability, we mentioned um, some of these other items. Really, it just depends on what it is that that contractor's doing. Now, there's obviously going to be those common items, but there might be other items that are very important due to the unique job that they're doing uh, that, that we haven't even mentioned yet. So um, it, it comes down to what it is that that contractor's doing, what it is that you need to see, and also, as we've talked about, uh, talking to your risk folks and verifying that uh, everything you're collecting is, is everything they're going to want to see as well. I think at the real core, uh, we could certainly always recommend uh, safety, uh, looking at historical safety stats, uh, depending on the level of risk, determining whether or not you need to include uh, safety management systems in that as well, uh, insurance, and uh, again, just based on the experiences we've had, uh, financial stability. I think those three components right there would really be a great start uh, to developing a, a very sound qualification program. Absolutely. Okay, another question here. Uh, we have our own program. What are the advantages of using a third party? Will they have problems understanding our suppliers? Uh, Dennis, I'll, I'll take that, and if you've got any insight. Um, you know, I, I think the advantage of working with a third party, if we go back to the, I, I think it was the third or fourth slide that we covered today, just when you look at the number of resources that will be required to manage this type of qualification program for even a couple hundred contractors. I think you've got economies of scale that come in working with a third party. Uh, one of the real benefits that we see, let's assume for a minute that you have a contractor you're working with. There's also another organization who employs that same contractor. Now, we're not going to share information between the two um, that would be um, uh, related to any type of sensitive information. But if you're thinking about some of the core information that that company A may want to track, such as um, historical safety stats, we can simplify that process if they're also registered for you. That is an element that could be shared between organizations. Now, you're going to have different insurance requirements, so we're going to need to collect different insurance certificates uh, with policy endorsements that apply to your organization. But uh, ultimately what we found is that we can provide a faster path to compliance and have minimal impact on your contractor by just collecting the, the deltas in the data between those two different organizations. So economies of scale would certainly be a huge benefit. Uh, the other thing is uh, there's probably areas of, of qualification where your organ organization may not feel like you've got expertise and Browse can help to provide that. Maybe to add a little bit also, uh, we love to share our best practices. We've done this for hundreds of organizations. We have experience. When we talked earlier about being realistic with your contractors, we've always kind of gone along the qual crawl, walk, run approach where uh, if you ask them for everything up front, that's going to be a lot more difficult to really get that this system off the ground for you. And so we'd love to share those best practices with you to kind of walk through exactly how we've 
done this in the past. Maybe we've worked with clients and we probably have that are in your exact situation or a very similar situation. We can share those stories with you and ensure that the program that you put in place is as effective as possible and, and really works well for your organization. Great. Uh, we just had another question come in. Uh, the question is, which function is best to manage this program? Uh, safety, procurement, quality? Dennis, do you have any insight there? Sorry, one more time, I didn't catch that question. Yeah, uh, in, in your opinion, which function is best uh, suited to, to manage this type of program? Is it procurement, is it safety? You know, we talk to, every, organi every organization we talk to does it differently. Um, you know, I would love to tell you that there's one answer, that there's one, one best way to do it. Uh, some companies we talk to, it's risk, some it's safety, some it is procurement, and some they have a completely different group that, that does the whole thing as, as is. Um, really what it comes down to is uh, you've got to do what's right for your organization. If you're using a third party, great. If you're using an house, that's great as well. Um, but whatever that is, you've got to make sure that that group understands what those requirements are and that they're going through those items as effectively uh, as possible to ensure that uh, you're looking at the right items and that those items are being completed in, in, a, in the correct way as well. All right. Great. Thanks, Dennis. Uh, I think we've got time for just one more question. Uh, question came in, a good contractor's relationship is achieved by trusting on each other. You talked about checking on their insurance after a while to make sure the conditions didn't change. <coughs> Excuse me. How can you do a check on them without breaking this trust? Um, do you have any thoughts there, Dennis? Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned with insurance previously that being added as a certificate holder on that policy makes it so that you don't have to go back to that contractor and ask them for, hey, I need your insurance certificate. Uh, you're notified automatically of any changes that's made. You're not relying on that contractor hand-delivering, whether that's actually physically hand-delivering or emailing you uh, a change with that. You actually receive a physical copy or physical or electronic copy from their agent letting you know of that change. They might be offended up front when you ask them for that insurance certificate, but I would hope that every organization understands the reasoning for it and, um, you know, we all go to work every day. We all want to make sure we're safe. Most importantly, we want to come home at the end of the day in the same way that we left. And so the hopeful part of that is that every organization, every contractor realizes that and understands the reasoning for you requesting that documentation. I, I, I think the second part of that is it really starts with a culture. Uh, stepping back and asking yourself, what is the culture uh, that we want to develop and foster? And that's one where, where we support both the client and the contractor. It's got to be a win-win. Again, with those contractors, uh, because they're participating in this, you want to make sure that they see the incentive uh, above and beyond uh, helping them to raise the bar in their own performance and safety. But being able to recognize those contractors that do meet your standards by providing additional opportunities uh, for work. Uh, it's been my experience in working with those contractors, the ones that, that you want to have there that are going above and beyond and, and making sure that they meet your standards. That Again, they really appreciate the uh, level playing field. And, and I'll add to a lot of the contractors that we work with, um, we found that in a lot of cases, those that are reluctant to share information, there might be a reason for that. So um, another thing to keep in mind, doesn't mean that everyone's hiding something, but if there's nothing to hide, then there's, there's obviously nothing to hide. Great. Thanks, Dennis. And, Alan, I think that brings us to uh, the top of the hour, and uh, we'll wrap up our, our Q&A here. 
right, thank you, everyone. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our speaker. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Brett Armstrong, Dennis Robinson, everyone at Browse, and, of course, all of our listeners. Have a safe day.